Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Underwear, armpit hair, many imitators, but no one compares. Badass Women's Hour XL with Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton on Talk Radio. One, two, three, four! Now, you can't have missed the big story this week, which was about the backpacker who was murdered in New Zealand uh, during what... Her killer claimed was accidentally too rough sex. So she was strangled during sex by a man she met on Tinder uh, and the jury have now convicted him of murder. On the line with us now, we have solicitor, uh, criminal barrister, Laurie-Anne Power. Laurie-Anne, what does this case tell us about, I guess, the laws around consent and sexual violence and how we are going to start treating them? Good evening, I think. Um, so, uh, I think what it what it's done quite importantly, actually, is, is brought to the fore how important it is that if you are participating in any form of sexual activity um, that involves violence, that if it ends in tragedy, there is absolutely no defence in law. You can't consent to um, having violence inflicted upon you in the same way that you can't physically, by law, inflict violence upon another person. And so I think that's what it's done. It's brought to the fore that, I mean, I think that uh, there's a lot of um, media attention in relation to the law and whether or not we need to consider changing our laws Mm. as far as rough sex is um, concerned. But I should make it clear, there is no defence of rough sex. It doesn't exist. It's simply when you when somebody's charged with murder and or manslaughter, what the jury must consider is what that person intended at the time. Because in this case, he's been found guilty of murder. Just for us, what's the difference between murder and manslaughter? Well, um, essentially, to be convicted of murder, the jury must have been satisfied that he inflicted the fatal injuries and that he intended to cause her serious bodily harm or death. And so it's unclear whether or not they were of the view that he intended to kill her or that he intended to cause her serious bodily harm and she died as a consequence. Both of those routes would lead to a conviction for manslaughter, of murder, excuse me. For manslaughter, it's slightly different. So there is a lower test. So it's you accept that you inflicted the harm, you accept that you foresaw some possibility of harm being caused or that no possibility of harm being caused but that death resulted anyway. And the jury then had the option of um, returning the lower verdicts of manslaughter. 
So it really goes to what the jury accepts was the state of mind of the person inflicting the injury at the time. It really has nothing at all to do with whether or not the victim consented to that injury being caused. Lorian, are you seeing more of these types of cases, not necessarily to death, but cases of sexual assault or violence against women that relate to somebody using a defence of rough sex? I think that, that there is some evidence that there's been an, an increase in the amount of death, uh, death, uh, rough sex-related deaths. But I think that could be because of one of two things, really because maybe people are participating in rough sex more and more. That's one option. So we know that there has been an increase in um, the social acceptability, in inverted commas, of how people choose to have sex. And we know that we are much more open about our sexual um, practices than we were maybe 10, 20, 30 years ago. So that could be one answer, but one explanation. The other explanation is that men are using it as an excuse to go out and periodically or routinely kill women. And I'm not sure that we're quite there yet. But I think there has been an increase and it may be at a stage where it's worth looking into. But I don't believe that we need to change the law to create um, you know, a, a route that establishes that rough sex is not a defence because it simply isn't. Yeah, because I'm just, it takes a lot to kill a person. And, and, you know, this isn't the first of newspaper articles around, um, you know, a, a, a murder, especially. Um, well, where... let me just stop you there because it actually doesn't, it doesn't take a lot to kill a person. It, I've done more murder cases than I care to have done, and you'd be surprised how easy it is to Oh, kill. really? Absolutely. It just takes that second too long that moment so i mean when we're dealing with cases like you say where there are multiple injuries inflicted over a sustained period of time internal injuries um um you know physical injuries visible on the skin and so you know you know that that those injuries must have accrued over a period of time and that mm. there it becomes clear to the jury actually there, there must have come a point during what you claim to be rough sex where it would have been obvious to you that the victim was no longer enjoying this mm. um, but but yes i do agree with you that there are some cases that we've had where you think how on earth did this happen without this person actually realising? Well, it, sometimes it feels like it sort of uh, softens the case of actually uh, men being violent towards women. Yeah. Um, sorry, say that again. Some, sometimes it feels like when, when you add into the news headline that it was rough sex gone wrong, that it makes it look like... Um, it, you know, uh, it makes it look like almost a, like accent. a consensual mistake. Yeah, exactly. Rather than it actually yeah. being murder, which quite often Absolutely. it ends up being murder. Well, it sh you know, it sh I mean, even if I, you know, this and this is this is the point I think that we really need to come out of this. Even if someone does consent in the confines of their private, you know, accommodation, even if someone does consent to that you can still be charged with murder. That's really right. important mm -hmm. because it doesn't matter that they've consented. What matters is that you intended to cause some bodily harm, serious otherwise, and the person's died as a consequence. Then you're, you're open to a murder charge, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think that... Um, I think that I think that this is something that will I think will gather as you know attention as, as time goes on because I think you're right that what what does sometimes come of this which is unpalatable and which is wrong actually is that there's some blame on the woman mm -hmm. or sometimes it could be but some blame on the victim that actually you know what she signed up for this 
and mm. it went wrong. And so, you know, well, I'm sorry, but it's just too bad. Well, it doesn't work like that. Um, there, there is no evidence to support the suggestion that prosecuted CPS um, lower the charges for murder where the context is against the backdrop of rough sex. There's no evidence of that. Right. The, the only factors that the prosecution will consider when deciding whether to charge is are the circumstances of that case. So were the injuries, injuries inflicted? What's the evidence to support um, the assertion that the the defendant or the accused intended to cause those injuries? Was it obvious the risk of harm or serious harm or was it clear? Um, mm -hmm. These are matters that all should be left to the jury. It really has nothing to do with the consent or otherwise of the victim. Laurie-Anne, I think you know, what you said there is is key. There is a, uh, a growing um, narrative around um, rough sex, meaning that women are consenting to being involved in in something that ultimately can end up as as murder and i think we need to think about the media conversation within this the sensation this sort of the, the way that uh, stories are being sensationalized um almost saying that uh women are complicit in this and and actually what you've said is murder is murder there is there is a very clear process to go through and if you kill someone that you know there, there isn't there's no blurred lines here as much as the media want to paint a picture of it of being so there is no blurred, blurred lines yeah. however yeah sorry um so we've got a note from fiona mckenzie who set up we can't consent to this um yeah. and she set it up after the killing of natalie Connolly, um who was killed by her partner um you know and she had over 40 separate injuries, um, internal trauma, fractured eye socket. Uh, and he was only given a sentence of three years and, and eight months for, for manslaughter. And so I think the domestic violence um, lobby and movement are getting involved to say, look, uh, we can't, we can't normalise what's going on here. We need to really... Uh, focus on the trauma that women are going through and I think one of the key lines that um, stands out for me is that um, you know ultimately if you kill someone during sex it's not rough sex you mm. killed them you murdered them that is violence full yeah. stop and everything else is just superfluous well, it is. I mean, look, you've, you've, well, I think because there are a lot of different factors there, because you do, we do, there is a distinction to be drawn between murder and manslaughter. I mean, when you kill someone, you kill someone. The only way, I mean, even if you kill someone and it's an accident, that still leads to a manslaughter conviction. So for a murder charge, murder, sorry, for a, a count of murder to be reduced, to manslaughter, the jury would have to accept, for example, that it was an accident. So that's typically the case in, in um, uh, cases where rough sex is a back, background. So, yes, I accept that there was some strangulation, but it was an accident. I didn't mean to do it. That also leads to a manslaughter conviction. It also, in most cases, actually, in 2016, of the 30 cases, it led to a murder conviction. 17 murder convictions, the remainder barring two, were manslaughter convictions. I'm sorry, Lorianne, say that again. How many, how many convictions? How many so, cases, um, how many convictions? So in, uh, 17 convictions for murder. Since when? Um, I think over the past, since 2002, I think the study looked at the, the, char uh, the offences between then and 2016. Mm -hmm. So there were um, 20 cases 
by 2016, there were 20 cases where there um, had been a defence, effectively, I say defence, but where rough sex had been used. Of those, 17 resulted in convictions of murder, nine manslaughter, and two ended in acquittals. So essentially what we're saying is we've got over, I mean, over two cases, over two women a year are being killed in, quotes, rough sex. Yeah. So that, to me, says we need to have a real conversation about what we mean for a start when we're talking about rough sex. I actually feel like we shouldn't be calling this rough sex. We should be calling it BDSM. We should be calling it extreme violence. Because even if a woman is consenting to this... Yeah. You cannot, as we said, you cannot consent to be killed. No. And also calling it rough sex, that, I feel like that yeah. makes it very soft. And, and what well, about... I, don't think, I don't think it is being called rough. I don't think it is. I think when we go to, when, when these cases end up in court, what happens is a defendant raises the context in which the killing took place. Mm-hmm. And he necessarily must, because it's a matter of fact that the jury have to consider. In court, it's not branded rough sex. There is no rough sex um, litigation that takes place in court. A jury is simply told that a defendant accepts, for example, inflicting the facial injuries during the context of what he says was rough right. sex. It's a good All excuse, right? Sorry? It's a, good, it's a good excuse, right? If you say that, like, how can in we... Some ways, yeah, in some ways, it's a good excuse. However, mm-hmm. we know that the juries aren't buying that because um, the overwhelming majority of cases result in convictions right. of some sort, all bar two over the, uh, the last 30. So we know that juries are not accepting excuses, in inverted commas, if that's what they are, but we, because we know that these cases are overwhelmingly ending in guilty verdicts for either murder or manslaughter, but mostly for murder, all bar two exceptions with the studies that have been done. So I I do agree that we should need to just take away the rough sex element of it. Murder is murder. The only relevant part is the context in which it took place. Uh, Quick question. Uh, How many men have died through rough sex? I don't know of any. I don't know of any, and well, I, I don't. I don't want to say there has been, but but I doubt. Mm. I mean, we know it's, it's common sense that we know, as a matter of fact, that um, it, this is not a problem. The victims in these types of cases are not men. The well. victims are, are women. Mm. But I also think that you know, women do also need to be aware, as you said. You know, some some people are under the misconception. We know that you know, sex does take place, and that. There is an increased amount of, you know, SM and dominatrix type sex that takes place. We know that from statistics from um, sex toy shops and the amount of online um, materials that have been born, and you know, just the, the. I think the the way that we that we in society now accept sex more than we used to in the way um, that it once was. But I think that it's also clear that it's very easy for fatal injuries to be inflicted. And if you put yourself in that situation, and this is not to victim blaming at all, that there, there are men who may be using this as an excuse to go and kill, do you understand? Mm-hmm. So I think awareness from all around, awareness for men, young men, awareness for women, but awareness is needed mm-hmm. that these cases, the courts will not treat lightly. If you kill somebody during the context of sex or violence of any sort, you are liable to a murder conviction. Laurie Empower, thank wow. you very much. Uh, Criminal Barrister Laurie Empower there. 
I mean, I just... Your question there, I'm a really hit. You yeah. know, no men. Do you know no why men. I'm thinking about that? Because, you know, the, the gay community are very hypersexual and a lot of experimentation... I mean, that's, it's a, a stereotype, a bit, but yes. Well, but, it, but in the, I'm just in, saying for anyone who's about yeah. to email us, yes. Well, yes, yeah. but you still, you know, if you're in Soho or whatever, you yeah. see, like you, you see it and yet I'm going, how many, you know, how many men have died from rough sex? And if, if the stats are zero, then we've got a problem. The other thing in here that worries me is as a single woman dating at the moment, I'm sure you ladies have seen this too, if you're using dating apps, the number of men that put would like to meet submissive yeah. women. yeah. I had one tonight who literally said to me, are you submissive? I was like, and we're done oh, here, yeah. thank you, no. Mm. And that's that's just become a normal question. Yeah. It's not a normal question, guys. <laughs> the Vampire Strikes Back. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. Um, so Monday is, as I said, the International Day for the Eradication of Violence Against Women. And it's a day really to kind of emphasise and push forward the fact that violence against women is something that doesn't just happen here in the UK. It happens across the world to extreme degrees. And even though we feel in the UK we have strong laws against it, as we can see from our earlier stories, we're not as far ahead as we would like to mm. think. Um, TV channel A&E have launched a campaign called End Abuse Against Women and are going to be focusing some of their commissioning on telling the stories of women who have experienced this. Joining us now, we have Di Carter, commissioning editor at A&E Networks and the executive producer on Murdered by My Husband, a story about Holly Carroll. Hi, Di, welcome Hello. to the studio. Hello, how are you all? Thanks for having me uh, along today. You're very welcome. Tell us a little bit about Holly Carroll and her story for anyone who doesn't know. Holly Carroll uh, was a incredibly vivacious, bright, charismatic, gorgeous young woman, mum of three, who was seemingly just like any of us. You know, you would, you know, she was a, a very uh, loved member of the community in Nucleus in Wales, um, and uh, was a victim of a very abusive relationship that, like a lot of those relationships, no one really had any clear idea about because I think none of us know what goes on behind closed doors. Um, and um, she was um, a victim of a domestic um, abuse and died last year. And um, um, why did you want to commission a TV programme about her? Um I think Crime and Investigation is a tele-channel. You know, it's a TV channel. We deal in true crimes and not the big fancy dramas. We deal in real people because we find that their stories are more dramatic than any screenplay or movie could suggest. Um, and we deal with amazing people. We deal with um, families of victims. We deal with police forces across the country, experts far and wide, um, and increasingly, those stories have this incredible theme of domestic abuse. And we found that so many of those stories kind of fell under that umbrella that we wanted to seek out a bit of due diligence. So we went to Refuge, who are one of the specialist service providers. Um, and we were walking into their offices for a meeting to try and find out you know, a bit more about the facts um, behind our own stories, in a way. And there was this really long glass wall... And as we were walking past it, the lovely woman at Refuge went, that's where the calls come in. And I kind of stopped as we were walking along because every 30 seconds they get a call that comes through from someone who's been brave enough 
to pick up the phone and go, I think I'm in trouble, which in itself is massive. Yeah. Every 30 seconds, which, which literally stopped me in my tracks. And then we went on to have this meeting and the statistics which then followed that up were... I heard them in a whole new light, really. And it's, you know, two women a week die as a result of domestic abuse. Um, and, you know, that in a fortnight, that's us. Mm. Yeah. Yep. And, and suddenly those facts take on a whole new life and, and you kind of go, hold on a second, are you kidding me? I think I'm a 60s child, so I remember in the GP waiting room, classic domestic abuse picture of a woman looking very forlorn with a black eye and you kind of get normalised to it and you think you know what domestic abuse is. And after that meeting, we all went downstairs to the cafe, the five of us for May and E, and we were really suddenly quite sobered by what we'd heard and... It felt like we were hearing the statistics for the very first time. And, you know, Chris and Zoe from our team at A&E, mm. who are amazing, just went, you know what? We've got to do something about it. This is our opportunity at, at, at a TV channel to give back. Mm. If we can draw attention to this issue, if we can make one person think differently, or, you know, we've all got mates who we all kind of go, they're in the right relationship, mm. are they okay? Mm-hmm. You know, or, you know... So Jane Monkton Smith, one of our experts, had this most amazing phrase where she said, um, "Yeah, we spend decades teaching our girls how to how to find Mr. Right, but we never teach them how to leave Mr. Wrong." Mm. You know, and I think your 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 risk of being hurt really rockets when you decide to leave and you say, oh, "I'm going to leave." So Refuge and our partnership with them is all about going. You know what? We can help you get safe. It's a it's a question of how. And we need people to listen to these facts, to hear these statistics almost for the first time because two women are dying every single week as a result of domestic abuse. And that's staggering to us. Uh, when you were talking to refugees, did they give you any guidance on... You said that thing just a minute ago, which is we've all looked at one of our friends and gone, are yeah, you OK? Yeah. Did they give you guidance on things to be looking out for? Because so much of it is about women covering this up and trying yeah. to kind of manage it and just be like, mm. it'll be okay, I'll and keep it under wraps. I think you're so right. I think there's a real stigma attached to it, and yeah. I think there's a shame. Um, I think the key thing, you know, and I'm not the expert, let's mm. be clear about that. You know, I'm receiving the facts, and I'm every woman. Um, but I think that every situation is unique, and it has an individual set of circumstances. So I think there are, there are general kind of things to look out for. But, you know, and I think... We have to almost reevaluate what we think domestic abuse means. It's not necessarily a black eye. In some yeah. cases, it absolutely is and worse, as we know. But actually, if you find that someone is telling you when to see your friends, how to mm-hmm. spend your money, when you can speak, what to wear, what to say, if someone is belittling you, undermining you, if you can see a friend that, that doesn't feel like they're in a good place, actually, it, for me, very personally, it was about taking notice of it slightly more mm-hmm. um, and just paying mind to it slightly more and actually just considering it and not kind of going, oh, you don't know what goes on behind closed doors, none of my business. Mm-hmm. Just taking a moment to just almost lean across. There was a friend, um, um, actually, you know, a friend of mine a couple of weeks ago, and I just went, are you sure you're okay? And you know what? That was enough. Having had that meeting at Refuge and making the, the true crime stories that we make, in a way, that was something that I did differently mm. that I wouldn't have done two months ago. 
the conversations I have with my eight-year-old and my 11-year-old daughters, I have slightly different conversations yeah. with them now about, you know, if you're, if you're in a place that you're, you're anxious about something, talk to me about it, which, of course, I've always done. But I'm doing it with much more impetus and passion now because, because of stories like Holly's. And I think yeah. Holly's story, her legacy, is that we find that we have to tell her story because ultimately she's not here to do it for herself. So I feel like a moral, you know, I'm just, I have to tell her story because she can't. And if telling her story changes somebody else's uh, life, then that's a really important thing to do. So one of the stats that stands out that I'd never really um, noticed or seen before, that is in addition to the two women that are killed, around three abused women commit suicide every single week 100% so you take that two people die mm. and you raise it to five and that's uh, you know Chris you know at our team doing you know what if you had five people die at a football match every Saturday mm. it wouldn't be off the mm-hmm. front pages mm-hmm. and you so why is this issue not something that we're not letting go of so up to five women and I think it, you know it was 173 people died last year as a result of domestic abuse-related incidents. 173 people. And the reason that we need to start talking about this is that that's the highest in five years. Mm. You know, when yeah. are we going to get to a stage where we will actually start having that conversation and going, actually, hold on a second? Because yeah. we all know, you know, four other people, you know, in a week, up mm. to five people a week are dying as a result of domestic abuse. So we, it's, a, it's time and telling our stories, the types of stories that we have to tell are, are becoming more and more urgent, you know, that we need people to see them, to listen to them so that they can make a difference. Do you think the way you, you see true, <coughs> true crime now and telling stories and perhaps looking at a lot of the true crime that's been on TV channels like yours or on others or told in books, mm. that, that we're not seeing them perhaps through the lens of sometimes domestic violence and that we're not actually I don't know if I'm communicating myself very well we're not actually t- we're not actually showing the the real story we might talk about the murder of a person but mm. actually domestic violence has been a cause of that but we're, we're almost not really addressing that in the narrative um I I can only speak for our channel you know we have because we deal with so many brilliant people who are real as opposed to fictional um we can only tell their story mm. We don't necessarily hide, behind, you know, hide behind, you know, or avoid telling the facts because they are really what they are. And I yeah, think... I guess my question is now. Now you've sort of had this experience yeah. now and almost having an, a little bit more of an awakening. Yes. Do you think that that's actually going to change your perspective on some of the content you create now? Do you think you'll look at your uh, look at content or look uh... at stories with a slightly different lens now than perhaps you did before? Um, I personally watch things very differently because of the experience I've mm. had. I don't think our stories change mm-hmm. because the facts are the facts. Mm. And, you know, we always have a really true filter when we make our programmes, which is we just deliver the facts. We let the viewer make up their minds. We, you know, we take that viewer on that journey. Um, so it won't change how we make programmes because that if it's domestic abuse, we will name it. OK. But I think what we have now, having ha- having spoken to Refuge and having this initiative, is that we're more urgent about it. Right. And we're actually kind of going, yes, here are the facts, but we're going to make people hear them 
you know, quite, I want to say relentlessly, because, you know, once you've heard these facts and you you almost hear them for the first time, mm. I've literally, I'm sobered by it. And I'm like, mm. we have to tell these stories all the more. Some people might say that using these stories for entertainment yeah. trivialises yeah. a very serious a lot. issue. Well, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I think entertainment is a very broad term. Mm. We're not shiny floor. We're not X Factor. You know, crime investigation is is brilliant because we know what we do and we only do what we do and we do it really well. You know, we we tell it authentically. We tell it genuinely. We don't dress it up into drama and, you know, we just let it sit. Um, And I think... um, we have people who come to us to tell their stories, which really back up our authenticity in that respect. So we get the people at the heart of those stories who only want to tell their stories with us. You know, we, we have mm. Marie, Marie McCourt, who's obviously been in the news last week. You know, she wants to tell her story. Um, you have the police who who solved those cases who, you know, really need to tell their stories for that reason. You have experts who want to share their why to those stories and I think because they all come to us knowing that we will represent them well, mm. um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily. It's not. It's a different type. Entertainment's such a broad term. You know, for me, these stories absolutely have to be told because that's the legacy of the people who've been impacted, and that's why we tell them. Thank you, Di Carter, commissioning editor at A and E Networks and exec producer on Murdered by My Husband. Uh, when's it showing? Time? Monday at nine. Crime investigation. Fantastic. And you know, very quickly, while we've been chatting on air, forty women have called refuge. Wow. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I'll leave that bone chilling, bone yeah. chilling um, stat there. Thank you very much, Di. Badass Women's Hour XL on Talk Radio. She'll get you talking. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Welcome back to Badass Women's Hour XL, where we are diving deep into GCSE history set text to talk about... 
pretty much my favourite queen, I think, apart from the current one, Anne Boleyn. Mm. Anne Boleyn. Apart from the current one, apart from the current one. I I mean, much as I love Anne Boleyn, I feel like she didn't do quite as much as our current queen. She didn't have the time, really. She didn't have the time. Uh, But if if you ever did a history class, there's almost no way that you could have escaped hearing about the Tudors and Henry VIII's second wife, Anne Boleyn, who was really made out to be a bit of a schemer, a bit of a seductress. Uh, but our next guest says it's all wrong. Hayley Nolan has written Anne Boleyn, 500 Years of Lies. Lies, oh. it's all lies. <laughs> Everything you lies. I'm here with the truth, gentlemen. Well, ladies, what? <laughs> <laughs> Hayley, what are the big lies about Anne Boleyn that we need to set the record straight on? You started with them right there, that she was a scheming seductress, you know, who schemed her way into the king's bed. You know, but actually, excuse me, she removed herself from court for a year to escape his unwanted advances. Really? They either never tell you that or they give it the whole spin of, oh, you know, she was just trying to play hard to get, you know, trying to pique his interest. The ultimate <laughs> example of when a girl says no, no she, she really means, means yes. No. Oh, I mean, no. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, you got it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> So it's just really damaging, this damaging rhetoric to put out there. So I am calling out, first of all, the romanticisation of a man murdering his wife. Yes. The victim blaming that goes on. It is shocking. And also the censorship of the fact that she was a badass woman and not for the reasons that you all think. (laughs) (laughs) She was good. She was a humanitarian. She campaigned for the release, or rather the amnesty of refugees who were fighting against their own suppression by the authorities. She fought against the manipulation of the public. With uh, they, They used to make them pay to forgive their sins back in the day really? you could pay and they hid behind the language barrier of a latin bible so Anne campaigned for an english bible so the people knew a this right. wasn't right <laughs> and also she was a working politician who died really actually died for um pushing through an anti-poverty law in parliament this was sort of like a radical tudor nhs and job center and uh, her peers did not like that and that is why Cromwell, the king's advisor, brought her down. Brought her down, oh, wow. killed her, conspired so, to kill her. So where was she from? Let's let's go back then. Let's so take it back. Where, where did she come from, or what did she do, and how did she get to even meet and she married Henry VIII? Right? Have I got my yes, history yes, right? Yes, you have okay. it right. Yes, she so married no, him. <laughs> yeah, they were married for three years. So everyone thinks that her. So it's another lie. <laughs> everyone thinks her father conspired to place her and her sister in the king's bed, but actually, her father was a respected royal diplomat who'd already by the time that either of them his daughters had had their um dalliances with the king um he'd had a 20-year career yes as this respected royal diplomat so, so he didn't really need to marry his daughters after the king. he did not he actually we have evidence he was against their marriage he saw it as dangerous not just for his own daughter wading into this precarious situation but for the whole country because henry was married to catherine of aragon who was a spanish princess so they had those delicate political mm. ties no one ever thinks about that no she tried the english <laughs> commoner thought she could oust the queen <laughs> and marry it's just ridiculous <laughs> I get very wound up about this, people. You're like, I'm really very... passionate about this. What has made so you, like, just uh, clearly be a bit obsessed from Anne Boleyn? Bit of an obsession. Yeah. Do you know what? This, I, I don't actually have a good story for this. It just overnight... It's just <laughs> been... a really boring story. Overnight, it just changed. Something switched in my head and I just wanted to know... Something switched in my head. That just sounds ridiculous. Um, I, I just overnight had this fascination and wanted to know how could Henry VIII do that? We're also the love story. He yeah. fought for seven years to be with a woman he loved. But then within three years of marrying her, he decapitated her. I was like, no, no, this doesn't make sense. Is it rough sex? 
It was emotional unavailability, Emma. (laughs) That's the thing, and it's been repeated now. That the damaging rhetoric they put out there is that not in the media now? That's the thing, isn't it? Because I grew up learning all about the, and it was just yeah, of course he killed his wife. Like that was totally normal, and like didn't even. And it's only now, and even the conversations we had opening the show tonight, and you just Mm. go. Wow, we're being taught this at school at kids. You know, oh, and violence against women is okay. Is okay, and and so I was just saying, um, I my goddaughters had a birthday party, and um, you know, haven't seen them for a while. My aunt said, "Tell uh, Nat what they're telling you about Henry VIII." Um, obviously, she knew where this was going. Uh, and my goddaughter started to reel off to me the fact that Henry VIII was a benevolent man, and he was a great king, and he. You know, loved his wife very much. Um, but these women, they just kept on causing trouble. And so he had to get rid of them. They're removing this uh, killed them, behead- beheaded them narrative. But he was a great man and a great king. And so I was like, oh, hell no. <laughs> Let's go back to the beginning. He killed all of his wives. And, and literally my goddaughter, her face just dropped. She's like, no, he did. Yes, he Yes. Well, not all of them. Yeah, he, killed them. them. He, he killed two of them. Um <laughs> But in that moment, I was like, he killed them. He beheaded them because he wanted to marry another one. He he was basically a lush. And I could just see that she, she was just like, I can't compute this because my teacher has told me otherwise. And they went to Hampton Court Palace again, where they're yeah. selling this story about him. They've even changed the visual. If you've seen on the bus, the visuals of Henry VIII at Hampton Court Palace, he's now far more attractive and a slim, svelte really? young man. He was actually... He, before the gout set in, he was actually pretty hot. Was apparently. he? But that doesn't excuse it. No, I but actually can see that. Yeah. But it's the, yeah. it's the build-up. So I, yeah. I feel like I there's, there's a shift. Though, yeah. They're trying to recreate him as mm-hmm. a very specific type of king and take away the, the negative. And I think they're putting all of the negative on the women. Yeah. yeah. And so what listening did she to do Yeah, exactly. It yeah. must have been her fault. She broke she broke up um the Catholic Church. Yeah, all all all, all yeah. of they that. They sell us all just... these lies. It's ridiculous. That's the thing. It's like and he he was so in love with them. One historian said Henry loved women. That's why he married so many of them. Oh god. Are oh you god. kidding me? <laughs> I mean, yeah, and that's it. It's the language that they used yeah. Yeah. the broken-hearted king sentenced the queen that he loved to death. Yeah. No, you don't sentence women you love to death. Not now, not back then. It yeah. just so I'm actually working with women's aid at the moment, calling out this damaging rhetoric and just saying yeah. that actually it's repeated in the media today. It's like yeah. he was the perfect husband yeah. until he killed his nagging wife. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Yeah, so it's actually far more relevant now and story than it's ever been. That's if you stop censoring it and just listen to the truth. Yeah. Consult the evidence. How did you find the truth? Mm. Because obviously historians have been writing about Hamlin yeah. for decades. We've had numerous TV shows, we've had numerous books. How did you dig in and find actually what was going on? Well, here's the terrible thing. It wasn't that difficult. It wow. was right there. It has been there right next to it. In the very same documents that you can see the historians have picked out, oh, that lie, that lie. But in the same document, it also debunks the lie and they've overlooked it. So, yeah, it wasn't actually that hard. <laughs> and it is out there. Snippets of her story and the truth has been you know, called out by certain historians, but it is buried in the depths of academia. Mm. And this is not what the public know. We don't know this, is, do we? Is that an unconscious bias that historians mm. have? Like almost like a, a you know where you you don't want to see the the truth. You want to paint the picture in a certain light. No, but I think it goes back to the point that I was making. It's not an unconscious bias. I think uh, there is a concerted effort to paint kings 
and queens right, yeah. in a certain light. Because they're kind of above because, the law, right? Well, and we forget who they are. You know, this was a long time ago. So mm-hmm. really, you can say anything about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about Churchill. There'll be movies about Churchill yeah. forever in a day, and it will always evolve to the point when people don't know truth um, from fiction. And I think it's the same thing with Henry VIII. Um, people are invested in their legacy and their story and people haven't been as invested in in hers yeah that's it and well hey not anymore <laughs> do you think i'm gonna let them get away with it no 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 they picked a fight with the wrong person <laughs> need a movie it's coming out there oh believe me i'm yes. on it i am on this definitely yes. need a movie yes, yes, it looks special I'm, you took the words right out of my mouth <laughs> we're doing it what's the one thing that you would like to go on the gcse history mm. yeah. set text so that we know the truth about Amblin. They need to know her political work and her humanitarianism and her activism because that's the thing, the damaging part about censoring the positive impact of women in history mm. is that we're putting out a distorted view. Like We've been told it's a man's world, mm. but maybe just all the positive, amazing women's stories have been censored like they have Anne Boleyn's, and that's not so true. Bless you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we need to stop censoring them and get her political work on the curriculum. I think that needs to be done now, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. agree. Yeah. Hayley, Absolutely. it's been fantastic talking to you. Thank uh, you. Anne Boleyn, 500 Years of Lies, is out 1st of December. 1st of December, yes. Yeah. I yeah. mean, a gift of truth for Christmas, didn't we say? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. Gift of truth. <laughs> I feel like it's just going to spark numerous historical arguments yeah. in families across the country yeah, where they're going to be like, hang on, did you know? And the answer to that trivial pursuit question is wrong. <laughs> oh, God, so true. Oh, yeah. So many ways this needs to correct. Ailey, thank you so thank much you. for coming in and joining thank us. You. One, two, three, four. This has been the Badass Women's Hour podcast with me, Harriet Minter, Natalie Campbell, and Emma Sexton. If you want to hear more from us, you can come follow us on social media at Badass Women's Hour HR um, or leave us a review and tell us how much you love us. We really need to feel the love. Five stars should do it. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.